So that's all going to make sense over the next 20, 25 minutes. Great to have you here this morning. And uh, this is our second live experience for 2014, entering week two of a brand new year. And like me, you've probably noticed, um, well, let's just say a spike in the number of references to New Year's resolutions and starting the year off well and changing some things and shifting things in a certain direction. Uh, some of the ones that have been coming to prominence that I've been noticing, uh, light and easy have been bombing the airwaves. Uh, Sam, you got that there. Been seeing a lot of, uh, Mel B, AKA scary spice, uh, for the, uh, Jenny Craig commercials. And, uh, then this week I noticed Booper, the health fund Booper. Um, Johan, do you actually know what that stands for? No, me neither. Anyway, don't suppose it matters. Uh, have been actually helped because, you know, recognizing that, 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 that some New Year's resolutions are easier than others. They've actually uh, started a campaign over these last week or so, just telling people to focus on one. If you make a New Year's resolution and you want to get successful, just, just focus on one. And that's, that's their key. But this theme is, is widespread right now. I'm seeing blogs about how to achieve your news resolutions, magazine articles. I think Koshi and uh, Sam, the new chick, they've had you know, experts on telling us how we can achieve our various New Year's resolutions this year. I wonder, though, if... Let me ask a question. What percentage of New Year's resolutions do you think are successful? In general, what, what percentage of New Year's resolutions do you think are successful? Just think of a number, percentage, so a number between uh, 0 and 100. Shifting microphones. Check. Two. Okay, so think of a number. You've got a number. Forbes magazine, I looked this up yesterday. Forbes magazine reports that the percentage of New Year's resolutions that are successful is, drum roll, 8%. Only 8% of New Year's resolutions are successful. Now, I'm not up here to be cynical, Sally, and tell you to not make New Year's resolutions, but at the end of the day, think about it. 8% is not a big number. For those of you studying, you know, school, university, if you turn in an exam or an assignment and you came back, the score was 8%, you would not be thrilled. 8% is not a big number. And so whilst I don't want to be cynical, I found myself asking the question and continue to find myself asking the question, is there a different way? Is there a better way? Is there a way that we can actually bump the number up? Actually, as we set, you know, sail at a new year, and here we sit, setting sail at the beginning of 2014. Is there a way that we, as Elevate Church, individually and corporately, that we can actually, when we hit December, look in the rearview mirror and, and have a higher than 8% success rate in terms of changing, in terms of growing, in terms of being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus? That's just got us asking the question, is there a better way? And uh, I'm going to try to not keep turning my iPad off accidentally when I'm preaching as well. Um, so we're, we're, we're talking, and we started this last week, we're talking for five weeks on the subject that we've called the new rules of resolution. And we're dropping anchor around one particular uh, instruction that Paul, one of the, the, the early church heavyweights, 
Paul wrote to a church in a place called Colossae. He wrote them a letter and it contained this, just this little nugget. And over this five-week period, as we start 2014, we're actually going to be dropping anchor alongside that, that nugget and, uh, and extracting enormous amounts of truth and revelation that I believe if we get that revelation and apply that, that will actually change the way we change. We'll actually see that, that percentage go up uh, for each of us and therefore for us corporately. Last week, we hovered over this particular nugget of instruction from Paul. And uh, I put it out there for those of you first-time guests or just returning from holidays today. Let me catch you up. I put it out there to us to uh, memorize this. One sentence, memorize this. And, uh, and I made the point that memorizing Scripture allows us to meditate on it, allows us to kind of, you know, chew it over and, and have, it, have it become real, have it become truth and, and, and be something that we can apply. So I put it out there to memorize this. And uh, I'm wondering, for those of you that were here last week, did anybody, has anybody memorized this one sentence? Has anybody, Peter, really, James, really? To the extent that you'd be willing to come up here and recite, you're not allowed to bring your cheat notes. That you'd be willing to come up here without the script, our last-minute review. Yeah, all right, all right. And uh, come on, James. Let's welcome James up, everybody. James, in a. Now I just have, just, just, just. By the way, but just so you know, James is ex-U.S. special ops. So even if he gets this wrong, right. you just pretend it's right, <laughs> or or he will kill you with his bare hands. Okay, but anyway, this, this is something that Paul wrote to a church, and it was instructive to them. And it's instructive to us today. So, James, you did volunteer for this, remember? All right. Now then, just as you have received Christ in your life, live your life as you have received him, rooted and built up in him. Praise be the word of God. Amen. Yeah, very good. Very good. Hands to James. All right. Very good. I'm going to give you a grade of 8% for that, James. No, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. I can't encourage. You know what? Two guys, and we didn't even put you to the test, but how do you reckon you would have gone, Peter? Self-assessment? Eight out of ten. All right, that's pretty good. pretty good. The rest of you, you just make me want to kill myself. I'm going to just quit the ministry as of, uh, well, actually right now. If I'd have put 10,000 bucks on the line, how many of you reckon you would have spent a little bit more time this week memorizing that, huh? Yeah, it's all about where we put value. And I got to tell you, there are prizes bigger than $10,000 checks in the mail awaiting the far side of, of knowing and applying God's word. So let me put that out to you. You've got three more weeks after today to get that right. But that, that, that truth, that instruction that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, it actually, it actually had a context to it. And, and, and whilst the, the, the bit that we're, we're uh, dropping anchor in and what we've just recited there uh, is immediately followed by these words. Paul continued to write to them and he said, See to it that no one take you captive through hollow, uh, sorry, hollow 
and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. One of the things that we need to understand when we think about resolutions is, is these, this concept of New Year's resolutions, whilst they're not evil, they're, they're, or the, the, the approach to, to uh, you know, not just making them, but kind of working them out and living them, it's not, it's not an evil practice, but, but those, those approaches, they depend on human tradition, okay? They're, they're man-made, human-made constructs. And, and it could possibly be because that we are finite beings that if we only live our lives according to our human constructs, we're not going to achieve the sort of results, the sort of change, the sort of transformation that Jesus has for us. That God who promises that he wants to change us into the image and likeness of his son, Jesus, not stop at just an 8% pass rate. One of the the, the things, one of the approaches that we take, not just to New Year's resolutions, but to, to all of life, one of the, the rules of resolutions is this idea that we achieve and then receive. Now, you guys know that. That's, that's, that's how most of life works. You, you put the work in consistently at your workplace, and over time, you are more likely to get the promotion. You achieve and then you receive. You want to get healthier. You have to consistently, you know, train, uh, eat well. So achieve and then receive the benefits of that. It's, it's very natural. It's not evil. It makes sense. It applies to just about every area of our lives. And you want to test this? You want to think, oh, it doesn't apply to, to me. Really? Okay. Tomorrow, third week, some of you just going back to work. It's January. Tomorrow, Knock on your boss's door and ask him to give you your Christmas bonus now. And tell him, oh, I'm not, oh, not going to spend it. I'm just going to put it just on my desk as an incentive to, to work hard during the year. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Now, you know what's going to happen. Go, go to your university dean, those of you that are studying. Go to your university dean and, and, and say to him tomorrow or her tomorrow, uh, I'd like my degree now. Give me my degree now. I'm going to frame it, going to put it up in front of my desk, and that's going to incentivize. They're going to look at you like you're crazy because as far as the rules of resolution goes, you have to achieve before you receive, right? However, there, like with some rules, there are two exceptions to this rule of achieve and then receive. The first exception is junior sport. Junior sport these days, you just have to show up and you get a prize. And it drives me crazy to see that happening in schools and in sporting institutions. We, you know, some of you have heard me have a rant. I won't take the next 20 minutes to rant, though I could. My short take on that is it's unrealistic. It's not how the world works. There are winners and losers in many arenas of life. And actually, we've got a great opportunity with our kids to, instead of insulate them from reality, we can actually inoculate them against the pain of reality and make them more resilient that, hey, junior, mate, when you grow up, as you continue to get older and put yourself out there, there's going to be things that you're going to win and there's going to be some things that you're going to lose. And that's just how it goes. And you've got to build up the resilience and the ability to bounce back and keep pressing on. And you won't get a prize. And Junior says, well, that's not fair. Well, who said it was going to be fair? 
Anyway, end of rant. That was pretty mild. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Exercised enormous amounts of self-restraint right there. So one of the exceptions to this rule of achieve, then receive is junior sport. The other one is in the idea of salvation. Now, salvation is a churchy word. We don't kind of hear it too much in, in, in uh, everyday life, but it's a churchy word. This idea, and, 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 and it's a word that encapsulates the idea that you and I are not perfect. And when we stand before a holy God who is perfect, we are, we are far below his standard. and We'll never actually be able to bridge that gap. But God wants to bridge that gap. He wants us to be close to him. He wants to have a relationship with us. And so what he did is he sent his son, Jesus. And we've just finished celebrating this a few weeks ago. He sent his son, Jesus, in the form of a baby to earth 2,000 years ago. And that baby boy, Jesus, at the age of 33 and change, was prosecuted and was actually killed as a form of capital punishment on a cross. And what that did is it actually was Jesus taking our place, that actually he was judged for our sins. And some of it, you know, it's hard to get our heads fully around. We're never going to get get our heads fully around. But in that whole exchange of Jesus coming and Jesus taking our place and Jesus taking our sins and our shortcomings on him and being nailed to the cross and our sins with them actually bridged the gap, allowed us, gave us access to having a relationship with Jesus. That's kind of my 25 words or less on on what this word salvation means, what this concept of salvation is. At the end of the day, one of the big takeaways that we need to understand about salvation is it's an exception to the rule of achieve and then receive. Salvation is all about receive first and nothing to do with our achievement. We did nothing to deserve it. We did nothing to cause it. God did it all, and all we did was receive it. The fact number two in this five-week journey of the new rules of resolution, uh, resolution is simply this. It's not achieving. It's receiving. Five facts that change the way we change. Fact number two, it's not achieving. It's receiving. This is an exception to the rule. Now, we deal with rules and exceptions all the time. You deal with rules and exceptions every single day, sometimes without even realizing it. The most classic is the English language. The English language is full of rules and it's full of exceptions. And for those of you that have grown up with English as your first language, like me, we, we kind of glossed over some of this in primary school. But we didn't see its relevance at the time. And it was kind of telling us stuff that we already knew because we just grew up speaking the language. But those people who, who learned English as their second language, they had to learn all of the rules. And they had to learn all of the exceptions. And I'm going to tell you this. If, you've ever, if you English speaking with your first language, if you've ever tried to, to, to study another language, you'll find most other languages are actually easier than the English language, because the English language not only has so many rules, but it's got so many flipping exceptions, and you have to know them all to not look like a dunce when you're trying it out. 
I know this. When, when Louisa, my, my Australian-born, Italian-blooded wife and I go to Italy, the cousins there who have had a, a modicum of exposure to English, they like to practice on us, you know, and, uh, and kind of, you know, get us to correct them and coach them and, and so on and so forth. And so we, you know, we'll be there and, and uh, we'll be on a, on a, on a, a trip somewhere or be sitting over a dinner table or whatever. And, you know, one of the cousins will say to us, Mark, um, you can uh, explain to me what's the rules for, uh, for English when this word, the word there. Because the word there to me is very, 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 very confused. And I'm like, yep, okay. I, I mean, I sometimes need a translator when they're trying to speak to me in English. But think about this, the word there, right? There, there, and there. They sound like the same words, aren't they? But they're not. I just use three separate words, there, there, and there. Don't believe me? Let's put them in a sentence. I said to one of the cousins, Here's how I can best explain it to you. There's a sentence. Let's try this. They're going over there to pick up their shoes. That's enough to start a food fight. How do you explain that? They say, why don't they just use the same word? I say, well, because in the English language, there's rules and there's exceptions. Well, which one is it this? The rule or the exception? I'm like, I really have no idea because, you know, I just learned to speak, to speak English at, growing up in Australia. You're the same way. Let me, let me show you a few more if, you, if you've kind of, you know, lost your elementary school mojo. Here's a rule. Plural form of most nouns add an S. Bottle becomes bottles. How many knew that? All right, that's the rule. It's easy, right? Plural, just add an S. It's easy. Except for nouns that end in ch, x, s, or s sounds, add es. Box doesn't become boxes, it becomes boxes. Right? It's an exception. Still not convinced? For nouns ending in f or f, change the f to v. And it is. So wolf doesn't become wolves. It becomes wolves. Trust me when I say this to you. I could go on until January 2015 with this sort of... There, there are rules and there are exceptions. The new rules of resolution, it's not achieving... It's receiving. Even that fact highlights probably the best known rule of grammar in the English language. For those of you that were taking notes, and if I was a betting man, I'd be betting that as you're writing fact number two down, some of you were reciting this rule in your brain. I before E except after C, which, by the way, there's even exceptions to the exceptions because it goes on to say, except for words that sound like A, as in way. 
There's a bonus. They teach that in America, by the way. Us Aussies, we got screwed on that one. We only just got the first half of that rule. But anyway. I before E is the rule, except after C. That's the exception. Our culture's rule says achieve and then receive. Salvation doesn't work that way. Salvation says receive before achieve. It's not achieve, it's received. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, I'm hoping, I am hoping that this is good news to some of you. I'm hoping that this is some of the best news that those of you who, like me, are achievement oriented, I hope this is some of the best news you're going to ever receive to set up your year. That fact number two, it's not achieving, it's receiving. Because some of you, you only know one MO. You only know achieve and then receive. And Jesus wants to say the beginning of change, the new rules of resolution, the way we build a life on sustained transformation is to first understand that it's not achieving, it's receiving as our starting point. If it was achieving first, it relies on us initiating. It relies on us sacrificing. And then ultimately, we get the reward. But the new rules of resolution is God initiated. Jesus sacrificed. And we get the reward. Now, I want to insert a little note here. (laughs) This is not an excuse for laziness. And I'll explain that in a moment. Some people hang on this idea that it's all about Jesus and there's nothing required of us. And that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that Jesus initiated things. He sacrificed. We get the reward. And then from that truth, from that revelation, from that starting point, from that foundation, we are to continue to live in him. There is something that's required of us. There's a responsibility. There's an application. There's a commitment. There's something that requires of us to roll our sleeves up and, and, and stay consistent in. But it doesn't start with that. It's not achieve and then receive the new rules of resolution. It's not achieve. It's receive first as the starting point. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, receive. Comma, continue to live in him. Comma, rooted and built up in him. See, one of the reasons that only 8% of New Year's resolutions are successful is that people lose the motivation. They forget why they started that particular goal in the first place. And when things get difficult or monotonous, boring, lose their glamour, people stop clapping on the sidelines, whatever it, when it when, because a lot, of, a lot of motivation is extrinsic, right? 
And there's two types of motivations. There's extrinsic motivation, external coming to you, seeing pictures of people you want to look like, hearing stories of people you want to be like. And that's okay, but it's limited because when we stop having access to that extrinsic motivation or we disconnect or, or, or the reality sinks in, man, this is going to take more hard work than I was prepared to commit to. We lose the extrinsic motivation. There is a better type of motivation for us to continue to change, for us to continue to grow. It's intrinsic motivation. It's the motivation that wells up from within. It comes up from within. But many of you who are achievement driven, some of you even know what that looks like. Some of you even know what that feels like to be intrinsically motivated. Nobody has to set your alarm early. You set your alarm early. You willingly get up. You do the work. You go to work. You put in the hard yards. You achieve the benefits. And that's okay. But I'm saying there's even something better than that as a starting point for you to be intrinsically motivated. It's actually to be eternally motivated. It's actually to have this this starting point before the intrinsic motivation that for every single one of us who have received Christ Jesus our Lord, that it's out of that gift. It's whilst carrying that gift around that we continue to live in him. And I am convinced, and I have seen this time and time and time and time again, people that live this rule of resolution, that understand that it's first receive and then continue to live in Jesus. Those people, you don't have to twist their arms to serve. They have to be held back. One of our team members this week, I had to tell her to take a week off and she wouldn't. So I had to smack her and say, she said, I just want to serve. I, I just want to serve. I, I, we're at, we're at, whenever God's house is open, I want to be there. I want to be serving. That's the least I can do in response to everything that he's done for me. This is somebody that understands it's first receive and then achieve. They don't need any intrinsic motivation. They've got eternal motivation. I don't want to waste a single day, a single week, a single month, not serving my God who gave it all for me. And we don't, shouldn't, we, you know, for those people, we don't need to be join a team, join a team, join a team and laying down guilt trips and shoving brochures under people's noses and, and ringing them up and harassing them. And you lazy, no, those people who get this are like, man, Jesus gave everything for me and I'm going to continue to live in him by serving him all the days of my life. There's no better motivation than that. people who live with this revelation, people who understand this gift that we've been given, they don't need to have the thumb screws turned on them to give financially. I'm surprised God lets us keep anything. He gave everything. He doesn't ask us to hand 100% of our paycheck over. But there's principles in there that he asks us to live by. But if you live in this revelation, continue to live in this revelation that Jesus gave everything. He gave us this gift that we couldn't buy, we couldn't initiate, we couldn't achieve. Then to have the privilege and the opportunity to financially invest in his kingdom so that other people will receive that gift. 
for people that don't understand that, it's a no-brainer. And those people never say, oh, I think the church talks too much about money. Those people come up to me and say, why don't we talk more about money, more about giving? Because they understand, like Peter said, the more resources that God's kingdom has access to, the more people we can reach. It's as simple as that. And they don't need to be convinced otherwise. It's not extrinsic motivation. Give, give, give. You know, get the Whip iPhone app. And crack that 52 Sundays of the year. People don't need that who have this revelation. They're eternally motivated. Speaking life. You know, some of you have heard me. I don't say this often, but some of you, gossip and words of negativity and and words of destruction and, and little secret dark corner conversations that people have. And I don't just mean in churches. I mean anywhere. Workplaces, families, phone calls. Ooh, did you hear? Ooh. Ooh. You know, people that understand this gift that Jesus has given us don't waste their words. Don't waste their time on any of that. They speak life. The phone calls you get from them are for them to say, I think you're awesome. The text messages you get from them are text messages saying, great job. Well done. I really appreciate you. I noticed what you did. That was fantastic. And no one's, no one's cajoling them to do that. Why? Because they have this in eternal motivation. They understand that God spoke life into them. And by us to continue to live in him, we take that gift and we speak life into other people and not just other Jesus followers. What would it be like in your workplace this year if you became known as the encourager, the motivator, put your cheerleaders outfit on and grab your pom-poms and every time you turn up to work and every interaction you have with a colleague, you are cheering them on. You're in their grandstand. You are their biggest supporter. I guarantee you that your workplace will change. I absolutely, come and see me in December if it doesn't and I'll give you your money back. All right? Whatever that means. I guarantee, my wife, Louisa, this, this is what she does. She works in a high school and she sees that as her mission field and she is in there every day. That woman brought home on the last week before Christmas, before the school you know, closed for the year, that woman brought home more chocolate and more booze than I saw walking through Woolworths for the entire month of December gifts. She got, I mean, she got, I had to actually sleep out in the driveway because there was no room in our house with all the stuff that she got. She, and she got given gifts by, by parents of students. She got given gifts by students. Students don't like adults. High school kids, they don't like us. They love Louie. And they brought her gifts, homemade treats and, and stuff that they, that they and, and then other teachers and, and her others, and, and then Christmas cards. It was a recycling nightmare at our house come January 1st. But, but that, I guarantee, that is because Louie goes into her workplace. And by the way, she doesn't actually, actually like her job. 
but she's grateful for her job. And she sees the opportunity within her workspace to speak life. And I encourage you to do the same thing. But people who understand that just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, don't need extrinsic motivations, booze and chocolate at the end of the year as the carrot hanging on the end of the stick. You have an eternal motivation. I want to make every word I speak, every moment I live, count in the life of other people. Some of you, this idea that we put up there, receiving Christ Jesus as Lord, maybe you've never even done that. Maybe that's a step you haven't yet taken. And, 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 and so for this, you know, I'm saying, well, comma, continue to live your lives in him. You haven't even got up to the end of the first comma yet. Technically, it's the second comma. We're going to give you an opportunity right now to receive Christ Jesus as your Lord, to actually say to him, I want to hand my life over to you. I want to accept, I want to receive this gift that Mark's been talking about this morning. For those of you that have never received that gift and you know that you want to receive that gift this morning, all I want you to do in a moment is just put your hand up and you're saying to God, yeah, I, I want to receive that gift. And when, when I see a hand, you can put it down and then we're going to pray. But I don't, I don't want you to, if you've never received this gift, I don't want you and God especially doesn't want you to leave this morning, leave here without receiving that gift. It's free. He initiated it. He made the sacrifice. And all you have to do, like with any good gift, is simply receive it. For those of you that have never received the gift, said to Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. And you know that this morning, that's what you need to do. Your opportunity is right here, right now. Don't miss it. So as I'm looking across our auditorium, for those of you that need to receive that gift, Jesus as your Lord, just put your hand up. And when I see a hand, then you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. It's going to take a moment to do this. Let's quickly slip your hand up so I can see it. And then you can put it down. Try not to confuse people fanning themselves with people <laughs> lifting their hands as well. It's a lot of pressure up here. Just, just, just so I'm sure, uh, I thought I might have seen someone lift their hand. If, that, if you did, can you just lift it again? If, if it was merely a fan wave, I, I think I'm getting it. All right. Guys, let me tell you this. I said this last week. One of the things that I'm saying to God, one of the things that I'm saying to God is that he would use us as Elevate Church this year to, to see his kingdom grow in incredible ways, both in quality and in quantity, that it would be normal that the Lord is adding to our number daily those who are receiving this gift of salvation, this gift of Jesus. And that takes all of us praying, engaging with unchurched and dechurched people, investing in them and looking for opportunities to invite them. So make sure you're doing that. Now, little preview next week, the new rules of resolution. Fact number three we're going to be teaching about is it's not trying, it's training. And what you're going to see is you're going to start to see how these pieces fit together. We don't just throw out a silver bullet. If you only come on one Sunday and then miss all the other Sundays, you, you probably miss just about everything in terms of the context. We try to teach in patterns, teach principles and patterns, because life is about principles and patterns. It's not about 
silver bullets, and we talked about that last week. It's not a project, it's a process. And so next week we're going to talk about it's not trying, it's training. And you may even hear a Yoda quote in there. I'm not sure. I have a week to pray about that. But be here. Uh, if you missed last week, you can jump on our website, elevatechurch.me, and you can listen to the podcast or click through to iTunes and listen to the podcast and uh, catch up. Be here next week. Uh, it's only going to be 24 degrees. And, uh, yeah, just let's just, let's just, uh, let's just continue to learn and follow Jesus' lead, hey? All right, now, this morning's coffee, Neil Gibb, that was perfect timing. But, by the way, just one thing before we announce the coffee, our host team every Sunday this month through the month of January are putting out a different treat every week as part of our Summer of fun. So last week was watermelon. Some of you left with nice juicy forearms as that watermelon trickled down. What do we have today, Neil? I see. Oh, very, very, very prudent choice. Yes, yes, yes. Icy poles and icy poles are best enjoyed with a. Technically, they are both correct answers. And a coffee, should you wish. And today's coffee is Cuban Serrano. Mm, very, very difficult one to beat. It's delicious. So Cuban Serrano, freshly roasted, freshly brewed, an icy pole. Have it. Be sure to have it with a serviette and a friend. And uh, have a blessed week. We'll see you. Oh, by the way, next week, the uh, mute. Oh, wow. Nearly forgot this. The music team from our great friends, the Rocks Church, are going to be leading us in worship next Sunday morning. So I'm just letting you know, not just to get you excited, but so that when you walk in and you don't recognize anybody up the front, you don't think you've walked into the wrong church, okay? Elevate church with guests leading our worship. And I've asked them to to lead us in four songs that none of us know. So we can get a glimpse of just how terrifying it is to walk into a church as a first-time guest. Serious. To feel like you've entered a club that you don't yet belong to and remind us just how important it is that we make sure we include, engage, and think of first-time guests when we do what we do, right? Closed at the core, open at the edges. So, icy poles, Cuban Serrano, coffee, serviettes, friends. See you next week.